and um, there'll be more opportunity in the week to be praying for Christmas and other, other things on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday we'll be praying together. Uh, if you're able to make it, George and Corin uh, will be around then too. Uh, so that would be good. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we are today in our Bible studies, uh, looking together at God's Word. Uh, you'll find 1 Corinthians 9 on page number 1150, 1150 of the Bibles if you're using one uh, nearby rather than your own. And we're going to be looking at this chapter uh, together, focusing particularly on, on the, the, the paragraph almost towards the end. As, uh, as you know, we're looking, uh, or if you're new, let me tell you, we're looking together Sunday by Sunday into this letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, wrote to a church in Corinth, the Greek city, well, a Roman city in the Greek world. And he's been dealing with a number of issues that they were facing in their church and trying to help them get straightened out there. In many ways, they need to grow up um, in all kinds of ways, and, and that's what this series has been about. Last week, we were thinking about how they, they're, they're to live in this diverse community. They were a, a very diverse bunch of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And the big issue that, that they were facing and that they disagreed about, actually, according to their backgrounds was whether they should be able to eat meat that had been offered in idol worship. Uh, that Roman colony of Corinth, there was lots of idol worship going on, and, and some of the Christians had real issues about whether it was uh, right to eat meat that had come through that process. Most of the meat available in their city, apart from that within the Jewish community, would have been used in idol worship. And uh, we looked together last week at, at some of that, 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 those issues. On top of that, the, the, the idol temples were a great place to have a, uh, a night out, you know, for a, a nice meal in a restaurant. They had kind of restaurants or eating rooms attached to them. So there was this kind of double issue that they were facing, and we, we looked at that. And uh, if you remember, at the end of chapter 8, Paul ends uh, that section. One of the things he says to them about how you live in a diverse community is that you need to see that, that your freedom or your rights to do what you feel is right is not the only thing that matters. Your relationships in the community matter more than that. And the relationship of your brother and sister with the Lord is more important as well. Uh, and he ends up saying that, um, that those things matter a lot more than your personal freedom to eat whatever you feel like eating with a good conscience. And Paul actually ends up at the end of chapter 8, and some of you were horrified to read this, I know, because some of us like meat and barbecues and whatnot. He even says that he'd willingly become a vegetarian if his eating meat of any kind would cause a fellow Christian to be doing something that their conscience told them was wrong. But from what we can tell, there's another problem that the Corinthians were uh, dealing with that was affecting their relationship with Paul. Remember how a few uh, weeks or even months ago we heard that big in the Corinthian culture was this idea that um, they, there were these celebrity orators. You know, in the, in the Roman Greek world, there was these big celebrities would come round and they'd be great at what was called declaiming or, or giving kind of complex talks, or offering their services to be like an advocate for the city. And these people went round, they were like celebrities in today's culture. They paid, they charged big fees. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, they get people around them, they charge them a little bit for a little bit of wisdom, and then as you got involved, you got a little bit more involved, they'd started upping the price, and, and the, the, the money kind of was coming into them. And, and that was kind of normal in their culture, and the Corinthians were beginning to think about their Christian leaders in that kind of way. Do you remember? And so they were dividing up around their, their favourite leaders and their favourite speakers and whatnot. Paul wasn't like that. He did everything he did as a Christian leader and as a teacher for free. <laughs> he didn't charge anything. In fact, he, he, he worked uh, all the time. He did a job. He was a leather worker or a tent maker. And so you can think about the Corinthians and think, how can, how can we take this man who's like our leader, who our apostle, our, our teacher, how can we take him seriously? He doesn't charge anything. Is he really a genuine apostle? Is, is, that, is it really possible? So he answers them in the first half of, of this chapter. I'm going to read it through. Just make a few comments as we go, because I don't want to spend much time on this. But I think it's important we do read it, uh, because the Bible says the public reading of Scripture is important, is good for us. And uh, so we'll read it through, see what he says to them. So you've got the background, they're thinking, is he genuine? Can we really treat him with respect? How come he charges nothing when even the non-Christian orators charges a fortune? Well, this is how he goes. Am I not free? Remember, he was talking last week about how you use your freedom. Now he's saying of himself, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So says Paul, yeah, I'm a genuine apostle. Uh, The mark of being a true apostle was that someone has seen the Lord Jesus. That's how they chose who was to take over from Judas. Do you remember? People who'd seen Jesus and been with them. And Paul was like that. Not that he'd been with them, but Jesus appeared to him in that Damascus Road experience. Uh, And he says in 1 Corinthians, he was the last of the people uh, to see Jesus uh, after his resurrection, especially to Paul. So Paul says, I'm, a, I'm an apostle, don't worry about it. And he says, no, look, even, even if you know, I'm not other people's apostle, I started this church, I'm your apostle. Be cool, relax, verse 3. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as to the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, that's Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? So he's answering those people who are criticizing him. He's saying, I've got the right to you know, take my a wife if I had one. He doesn't, as we heard last uh, week or two back, he didn't have a wife. But you know, if he had one, he'd have a right to take the wife with him and so on and so forth. He says, no, uh, I've got every right to be supported. And he carries on giving reasons why. So verse 7, he's saying, now these are reasons why he's got the right to be supported, to get money from them if he wanted. Verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law, that's the Old Testament law, say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, he quotes from the Old Testament, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. 
Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. And if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? He says it's common sense. And it's in the Old Testament law. And Paul is saying, it's not that me and my team don't have the right to be supported. He said, we've decided not to be supported. Look what he goes on to say, but we did not use this right. Aha. He said, we've got the right to be supported. Don't worry, Corinthians. If we wanted to charge you, we could. But we've decided not to use that right. And then he says, we've got our reasons for this. Verse 13 to 14 begin to tell us what these reasons are. Don't you know? Oh, sorry, verse 13. But we did not use this right. Verse 12, sorry, top of the page, top of the paragraph in our version here. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Again, he's going on to say, we have the right to be supported financially. He actually says the Lord commands it. He quotes the Lord Jesus. If you remember that story in the Gospels, in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, Matthew 10, 10, Luke 10, 6 to 8. Remember when Jesus sent the disciples out on a mission? Remember what he said to them? He said, don't take any money with you. Don't take any food with you. When you go and talk to the people you talk to, they're going to feed you. He says, because the worker deserves his food. And that's what Paul's quoting here. He's saying that, remember, even Jesus, he said it himself very clearly, there's a perfect right for someone who is involved in preaching good news to to receive support from people who are receiving it. And then in verse 15, he changes from we to I, and he starts talking about himself. I have not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. He says, look, I'm not writing this, dropping you hints, saying, come on, you could give me some support, couldn't you? No, not at all. Look, he says, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Paul starts talking about himself now and he says he's laid these rights on one side and he doesn't want that to change. There's something that matters so much to him that he's willing to forego any kind of payment for what he does, even though it's perfectly good and perfectly fine for him to be supported by the Corinthians. And what is it? It's the gospel, he says. He said, this good news about Jesus that I share, it's all to do with that and the the reason I do that, he says. That's why he doesn't take money. 
that's personal. It's a personal reason to him. He, he goes on to say, you see, Jesus had commissioned him as an apostle to do this. Do you remember the story of when, when Paul was converted, when Paul saw Jesus in that vision on the road to Damascus, he was very clearly told by Jesus that he had this job to do in telling people the good news. He was told that very clearly. And he says that because of that, he says, I have no choice whatsoever whether I tell people the gospel or not. He says, I'm compelled in a special way Verse 16, I'm compelled to preach, he says. Woe to me if I don't preach. He said, I've got no choice. It's such a heavy sense of, and he's not moaning about it. He's saying, Jesus has put this on me and I'm going to do it. And I have no choice in that matter. I'm going to do it. But he says, I do have a choice on whether to do it for free or to do it for money. As well as out of compulsion because of Jesus telling him. And do you know what he says? He says, for me, you know, doing it for free, I really get a buzz out of that. That's what Paul's saying. I love to be able to tell people the good news, and I love to be able to work for myself, because I just love to tell them free. He said, no one's going to rob me of the joy of doing that, because I want to do that. I suppose it's a little bit like if you're someone uh, who can do something. Let's just say you're a professional plasterer. How I wish I had that skill. What a great skill to be able to plaster things, you know, just you know, do that and it'll, it's all beautiful and smooth. Okay. So you're used to doing your professional plastering and you get paid usually for doing it. And, and you know, you know you, you, one of your great friends or someone you love, you know, your, your partner, your wife or husband or whatever, says, um, you know, can you do some plastering for me? say, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And, and you want to do it, and you want to do it because you, you love that person. And then at the end, they say, well, let me give you some, some money for, for doing it. You say, no, 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 I don't want to do that for that. I want to do it, you know, I'm doing it for love. I'm doing it because let me do this for you. And they say, no, give me some money. Let me give you some money. No, 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 I don't. That, that, that's the kind of attitude that Paul is talking about in his preaching and why he says, I'm willing to give up that right. Okay. I think that was unique, actually, to Paul in his apostolic ministry. Now, I know when I was younger, I used to read these verses and think, we're all compelled in the same way as Paul was to preach like that. And I'm not sure that that's true now. Some of us, if we've got that calling as evangelists upon us, some of us are compelled to do certain things. And we just know God's called us to do a certain thing and we're going to do it. But I think that was generally unique to Paul. But now, Paul goes on to put, talk not about something he doesn't do, i.e. take money. He's just been saying, Corinthians, you've been criticising me because I don't take money. And this is why I don't take money. He said, it's okay for all the other apostles to do so, but for me, I'm not going to do it. That's why I don't do that. Now, he's going to say, let me tell you about something I do do and why I do that thing. And it's a, for a very different reason. And the reason he does this thing that we're going to talk about now, willingly, freely, is not unique to him. The reason behind it applies to the Corinthians and it applies to us too. Let's see what it is. Verse 19. So, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. 
to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So what does he do? What is it that he does do, rather than what he doesn't do? Verse 19, he says, I make myself a slave to everyone. Hmm. We'll think about that later. Why, though, does he do it? What is the reason for that? Is it just personal to him? Just because of the way he's wired? Is it just because of his apostolic ministry, specially, uniquely given to him? Or is there another reason for it? Well, it's right there in black and white. There it is. To win as many people as possible. That's why. That word win, he uses it four uh, four or five times It's interesting, it suggests kind of getting a return on the investment that's made. He's saying, I'm getting something out of this. It's kind of blessing me. In verse 23, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. There it is again. The gospel matters so much to him. I'm willing to make my slave to anyone, he says, for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. What does he mean by win? Well, we... We often use it, but it makes it very clear in that verse 22. I've become all things to all men, so that by all means I might save some. By win, he means seeing people saved, as he puts it. People coming to know God through Jesus. And as that happens, Paul is saying he's getting something out of it. He is getting blessed by that. He says, it's great. And I wouldn't be robbed of that for the world. Isn't it great to see people come to know Jesus? Do you like that? It's good, isn't it? Isn't it encouraging? We've been getting a flavour of it in the baptisms we have. Isn't it great when people get baptised and they tell their story? Isn't it great to be around people who are new Christians or people who are uh, uh, who, who are uh, beginning to know Jesus, committing their lives to him. Isn't it great seeing him working in those lives? Sometimes you, you get the stories, uh, the testimonies, but we see it, I see some people smiling in the congregation, because you are those people, and it's great that we've heard your stories. We pray as a staff uh, on, on Monday mornings, and we always ask David, how did Christianity Explored go? And he tells us, and, and we hear about it, and we think, oh, it's great to hear that people are responding and just thinking this is, it's marvellous isn't it? Paul is saying that's what I want I want to be part of something where as many people as possible are one and he says it's worth paying the price of being a slave to people for that now wherever does he get this idea of being a slave to people from? let me uh, remind you of a verse who said The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Who said that? Jesus. Where does he get it from? Jesus. Who said, I am among you 
as one who serves. Who said that? Jesus. Read it last week at communion, Luke 22. And is that just for Paul? Is that just for Paul and just for Paul and Jesus and maybe a few? Well, if you turn, you don't even have to turn the page. Look at the beginning of chapter 11. Follow my example, verse 1, as I follow the example of Christ. What does, uh, again, I I think Luke uh, Luke quoted it from Philippians 2. What does Philippians 2 tell us? Paul says, we must have that attitude among ourselves as we have in Christ Jesus who became a servant. It's for any follower of Jesus to be like Jesus, to be like Paul, to be willing to serve. It's not just for Paul, it's for us too. We can know what Paul knows. We can know the joy and the buzz, the excitement of being part of seeing as many people as possible being one. That'd be good, wouldn't it? I'd like to be part of that. I do. And Paul says here that he's, he's right alongside people. It's interesting when Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. Paul says, look, when in this bit that, that, that's quite well known about to the weak I became weak, to win the weak, etc. To those not having the law I became like then. For, him to, for that to make any kind of sense whatsoever, practically speaking, he has to be really among people, really close to people. He has to be really close to the Jews on some occasions. So close to them, in fact, that they'll notice if he doesn't keep their laws. And so he says, I'm willing on those occasions to keep their laws. So close to the people who don't give a monkeys about the Old Testament law, on those occasions, to, to, to without compromising his, his conscience, to, to be free to eat the meat and stuff that they eat. He's got to be among them close for that to make any kind of sense whatsoever, doesn't he? These verses in brackets in verse 20 and verse 21 show that he's open to misunderstanding. He's saying to people who say, what Paul, are you saying the law doesn't matter to you? And he says like in brackets there, yeah it does matter, of course it matters, but you know, I'm not under that law, I'm under Jesus' law. And the fact that he has to kind of say those things is because he's so close, he's so involved, he's so among people that he's open to misunderstanding and so he has to say that. And who is he serving? You know, we often think, we think, well, we need to be like Jesus, we need to serve. We kind of think about it, well, that means we should do more in the church then. We, you know, we should get on a rotor, you know, the dreaded, the dreaded rotors. There was a joke about rotors, I can't remember what it was. Uh, I'll, I'll try and remember it. No, it's gone. Um, but the, the fact, you know, it's so possible to be on a rotor and do something, that's great. But who is Paul talking about serving? He's talking about people who are to be one. He's talking about people outside of the Christian community, isn't he? That's who he's talking about. No, says Paul, among people to win them, following Jesus' example. Who was Jesus with? Well, by definition, <laughs> nobody knew who he was or followed him to start with. And most of his time he was uh, out with people as much as he was with his disciples. Now, here's the question. Are we willing for those kind of benefits, for that joy, for that great kind of possibility of being part of winning as many people as possible, are we willing to serve people? And how will we do that? Are we willing to be among people? Maybe in this community here, where this building is situated. That's going to be how some of us are particularly involved. 
or in the Well Project at Beavis. Some of us, particularly obviously the Beavis Cluster and others, are welcome to get involved. We'll be down there next Sunday, or Sunday, is it next? Yeah, next Sunday, down there. Uh, in that community, serving people, literally giving people a drink and offering them, you know, a craft activity or, you know, that kind of stuff. Putting on a neighborhood carol service, which no one else would do. But Christians are doing that. Christians from Above Bar and Portswood and Life Church in partnership, doing that. Serving people who don't yet know Jesus so that we might win as many as possible. Maybe we need to be thinking about a new approach to our neighbours and our friends, our work colleagues within our networks and our families. To be serving to win as many as possible. Because surely it's in the serving, it's in the contact. It's in the relationships that the message is then talked about. So can we be more intentionally among people to serve in our wider networks? Just there to serve. I mean, for you students, you know, those of you putting your first year house sharers, make the most of it. You're never as close to people again in your whole life unless you end up in, in, uh, I can say, in hospital or prison or some other institution. (laughs) You know, you'll never, uh, you know, my, my neighbour's at least kind of 30 metres away from me and uh, he speaks a different language anyway, but uh, he speaks English as well. Uh, but, you know, your neighbours are in like kind of six inches through the very thin wall that's between you and the room next door or whatever, among people. And I know that some of you are having great times with, with, with uh, you know, stuff that's going on through that. So we could learn a lot from you student guys. But being among people... Willing to serve, to pay the price, to be a servant in loving and caring and sharing with people, to win as many as possible. Now, we're kind of segueing into the next part of our time, into the forum here. But as elders, you know, we're realizing that there are ways in which we as a church community can really serve the people in this community here and in the Beavis community. Through the way we use the building. Now, the building's not the end of anything, but the way we can use it is the key thing. Through the community projects, you've heard about the well and so on. And that's why we want to change this building, not just so that it's nice for us, but so that it could be used within this community as a resource. And we've got to work that out. So it may be, how about if we, we can look to God for more than just enough to do that bit at the front? What, what about if we could do the back? and have a suite of rooms above the place at the back where we could do community projects that was connected to a creche at the back and, and so that the, the 30 women doing language, stu- language courses on Thursdays that are kind of squashed in between the margin and creche could perhaps be down there sometimes as, long, as well as other kind of projects of that nature. It could all be part of the future as we serve as a community in order to win as many as possible. It's a possibility. What do you think? going to pray about it so we need to invest money we need to enable people to seed projects we we realized through the well community project that we the little bit of money we got from the government for lose maternity leave you know we invested in some time for somebody to with skills like rachel to to give a day a week uh, to to this to the well and to see what could happen and, and we got to a point where whoa, actually there's a lot that we could do now but we need more money because we need people to, to, to work there. Not all the time. We need to find a way to do that. It's about the cost we pay in order to serve the community, to serve people 
in order to win as many as possible. That's not to say we're only doing community work so we can preach to them. No, 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 no. We serve in the name of Jesus, and as we do so, people ask why. And there's opportunities to tell people why. And we live him and we share him as he gives us opportunities to do so. More of that later at the forum. So this opportunity then to share in the blessings of the gospel is in front of us. But as I close, look at the way Paul changes a word here. Did you notice that word change in that sequence? He goes win, 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 win. It's a win, 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 win situation through those verses. And then in verse 23, no, sorry, verse 22, I've become all things to all men so that all possible means I might save some. He's saying, look, what's that telling us, that change of word there? He's saying, there's a lot at stake here. It's interesting, Paul doesn't pile on the guilt and I don't want to pile on the guilt. Paul says, being part of winning as many people as possible is great. Let's get on with it. That's what I want to say as well. But we cannot avoid the fact that if people are not won, if they are not rescued, if they are not saved, then they're lost. That's what Paul is saying. So there's that other dimension too. It's not something that we can turn away from lightly. So is that worth giving up some freedom for? Spending less time on ourselves maybe, or... Less money on something so we can give money to use or use money differently. To see as many people as possible, one. As we, as a community of God's people, take on that servant mindset. Willing to meet the needs of others. Following Jesus, his way, with him. He said in, I think it's John's Gospel, uh, I scribbled it in my notes, I meant to look up the reference, but... He says, I think it's in John's Gospel, where I am, there shall my servant be. We do that stuff. We're not on our own. He's there, right there, in it, with us, just connecting, in the connecting place. It doesn't mean we have to go out and be, you know, bending people's ears all the time. It's just about being there and serving. Something I learned in hospital, actually, um, I, uh, that again, that was a very close, close-knit community. It was a rare community to be part of for just a week, as I've been trying to share it in face-to-face. The last episode, as it were, is in this month's edition. But you know, as we're there, we don't have to go out and become, you know, somebody that we're not. If we're going into a place to be among people, to to be Jesus' person in that place, He can use that. He'll make opportunities. He'll be at work. Because where his servant is, that's where he is too. Let's not miss it. For his sake. Amen. Shall we pray? As the band come up. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his willingness to be so open about his own particular unique kind of uh, characteristics and calling from you. Thank you that he was willing to share his heart with the Corinthians and it's touched us. We thank you too, Lord, that as he was able to say to them, to imitate him as he imitates the Lord Jesus, we want to say, Father, we want to be imitators of Jesus. We want to be like him.
And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us what it means, just maybe in small steps to start with, to be servants, to be slaves to people, to serve people, so that we may see as many people one as possible. Lord, would you do it, please? Would you do it through us with all our kind of weird vulnerabilities and other stuff that we carry with us? Lord, would, we, would you just take us and make us into a, a community of Jesus, the servant king, and a community that serves, and through our service and our speaking, our sharing the good news, we pray that many, many people in this city and beyond may be saved for his glory. Amen.